Hello and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismile and I am joined in person today by Brendan Norrison and today we're recording another new episode but this time we're in the same room Adam and it's a very weird feeling. It's true yeah and we actually have that other episode so this is not the first time that we're recording in the same place at the same time. Uh, but that episode was rather sloppy and drunken, and this one, I think, is a little bit more professional. Yeah, definitely. For one, we've got a table sat between us, um, unlike last time where we were humped around a, a desk and a Premier Inn that was looking at the wall, so even though we were actually in the same room, we weren't quite able to still kind of sit and look at each other as we chatted, so this is like the first time we're able to do that. Yeah, we got an Airbnb in Glasgow that actually has a table. Yeah, and uh, that's a big deal for us. Hundred <laughs> percent. We specifically called out on Airbnb, must-have table, and here we are. Yep, here we are. So today, well, we'll just be kind of recapping the trip. This is uh, this is being recorded now at the end of our week, uh, hanging out across the UK, starring in London, hanging up to Sega, and then going to Glasgow, and it's been a lot of fun. So we'll be talking about that, and then. We're going to have a proper Shocks podcast finally, because thanks to Brendan, I've finally been able to play the game and uh, have some thoughts about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole trip's been fantastic. Um, obviously, the Sega trip was the kind of catalyst for it happening. Uh, Shocks is the, the major event. Um, we've talked about it quite a lot in the podcast off the cuff, so it's been good to have some dedicated time with it, even though the PlayStation 2 that we purchased for this trip threatened to destroy everything with uh, some weird laser problems. Yeah, there's there's a issue with the PS2 that we picked up for the trip, but we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, pretty much the way the week is gone is uh, we met up in London, went to do the Sega thing. That was awesome. Uh, thank you, Alex Easter and everybody at Sega for inviting us to come by and, and play some virtual racing in Daytona with you guys. It was a blast. Uh, after that, we left the small town of Brentford outside London and uh, headed up to Glasgow, uh, where we've been hanging out in a flat playing lots of PS2 racing games <laughs> when the system works. Uh, when it doesn't, we've been watching Formula 1 tri- Drive to Survive Season 2. So <laughs> it's been that kind of week, but it's been the blast. Yeah, definitely. We've had a, a varied experience, although kind of alcohol has factored in in one way or another pretty much every night. But um, yeah, between the PlayStation 2 games, Drive to Survive, uh, going to watch some football, or soccer in your case, Adam. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the trip's been fantastic, it's hard to believe, it's already nearly been a week, but here we are. I know, it's been super fast, and uh, Brend, you uh, dragged me, I shouldn't say dragged me out to a <laughs> pub because I wanted to go, but we went to watch some Celtic football uh, in a pub, and that was a really good time, and I am now the proud owner of not one, but two <laughs> Celtic jerseys, so that's what going to Glasgow and hanging out with Brendan will do to you. You'll become a Celtic fan, whether you like it or not. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a prerequisite. So um, Time Extend is now the official, unofficial uh, racing game podcast of the Celtic Football Club. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, went on a nice drive to, was it Largs? Was Largs. It town? Largs, yeah. 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 And uh, I just, the amount of times I looked over you and was just like, yeah, this is just Drive Club. Like, we're just in <laughs> Drive Club right now. Uh, this amazing scenery. 
yeah, it, it's a fantastic drive. That I mean, that drive in particular is one that I still really enjoy doing, despite the fact that it's from where I usually live. It's only like a half an hour journey, but because we came straight from Partick in Glasgow, it was a good like twenty-two mile journey there and back. So it was quite a, a considerable journey, um, and it was very enjoyable. We got a day of relative sun as well, which. We've just had the, the wettest February on record, so it's like wild that the weather turned out for that one day we did have something planned that wasn't in a pub or going out for food. So we, we kind of struck it lucky in that regard as well. Yeah, and then like three hours after that rained. So <laughs> it did, it did. Yeah, and it was pretty bad if I recall as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty wet, but I mean, that's what I expected coming all the way over here. Yeah, exactly, you're under no illusion that it would be fantastic weather, so um, I think it's not getting in the way of anything we planned, which is great, and uh, yeah, I guess the weather, despite being poor, hasn't really impacted the stuff we've been able to do. No, absolutely not. Uh, been checking out the city, eating well, it's been great, went to a chippy, didn't know what the chippy was until I got here, <laughs> and, uh, and now I do, and it was an experience. Yeah, it was... An experience for me because we had been eating out in so many other good places like consecutively and then realised the kind of toll something like that can have in your body till afterwards and I was like, oh god, that's, um, yeah, maybe, I like like we've been talking about, I think the two of us have been saying, like, because I've been eating so well this trip, it's kind of got us encouraged to go back to the gym and really yeah. start properly getting fit as well, so... Um, yeah, the chippy served day. its purpose. Yeah, <laughs> chippy, drinking every day, eating a lot every day. I've had more fried chicken sandwiches here than I ever have in America. So yeah, gonna gonna head back to the old Blink Fitness in Bushwick and uh, and crush it when I get back in a couple days. But yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. And as we said, we've been hanging out in the flat, playing a lot of racing games too. So the uh, the whole collection that Bren got, you you picked up a PS2 Slim. With, like, what, like six or seven games or something like that? Yeah, six or seven that we would play. There was 32 in total, but um, there was, like, Lord of the Rings licensed games and uh, some other stuff that I knew we wouldn't prefer to play, so they're they're still in the house. Um, But, yeah, it was a good deal. Um, Obviously, we've had that slight issue we are kind of referenced earlier, where basically it's a pretty common issue for that console. The ribbon cable kind of glue had come loose, so it started putting a perfect circular scratch on the disc, um, which has basically fucked the Gran Turismo 4 copy, it's unfortunately. Gran Turismo 4, yeah. yeah. It's really disappointing. So we have uh, we have Burnout 3, which is too scratched to really work. Yeah. We have uh, Revenge, which is a less good game that we haven't played as much. Uh, Midnight Club 2, which we haven't really touched. Maybe we should do that before, before the trip is over. Yeah. Um, GT3, GT4, and I think you, I, I know you're more of a GT3 guy, but I think you have yeah. a little bit more of an appreciation for GT4 after his trip, which if I did that, I am, I'm very happy. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I, th- I think like, obviously, um, I'd said before that GT4's biggest issues for me were down to the handling engine, but um, and ha- and having gone back, it's been a bit of a better experience for whatever reason, and you were saying maybe it was the driving aids when I, it was on when I was younger, that kind of hid the true raw gameplay from me. So it's been good playing it, and even just one of the things we were talking about was the fact that in Gran Turismo 4, there's so many different routes you can take to get to the kind of part of the career you want to get to, there's ways to cheese the game and get loads of cash, and um, 
from a kind of dual player standpoint, two people playing on one save, like this was the case when I was younger as well. GT4 is definitely better in that regard because there's more decisions to make in that type of thing. Whereas in Gran Turismo 3, it's a bit more of a linear experience outside of the licenses compared to the events. But in GT4, there's definitely kind of multiple avenues you can go down. So for this type of gameplay where we've got one controller, two people, I'd say GT4 is probably the better option of the two. It is a unique experience as uh, two people going through the game yeah. <laughs> a couple nights in a row, but it's pretty funny because we're using a save that had already been started by the previous owner of the system. Now, they didn't get very far. Yeah. They only had a Pontiac Sunfire GXP <laughs> for some reason with a stupid wing on it that had been tuned up to like 220 horsepower. Yeah. And... Uh, the guy's name, as we discovered, because it says it in the top left corner of the Gran Turismo mode screen, is Glenn. So yeah. we start playing, and it's just, welcome to Gran Turismo 4, Glenn. <laughs> Shout out to Glenn. Um, thank you very much for <laughs> providing the Pontiac. It was something that we unanimously hated. Oh yeah, I hated the Pontiac. But I think Glenn, if we had a honorary third member of Time Extended, would have to yeah. be Glenn at this point. He's contributed as much to that save, really, as we have. This is it, like, it's Glenn Extend. Glenn Extend. That's uh, the new name. <laughs> he got us through, um, we didn't have to do the first two licenses, B or A, because he already did them, which yep. was a huge time saver, but he stuck us with that awful, awful Pontiac, so. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said that somebody would look at that car and decide that's what they want on their single car garage. So, I mean, clearly there was something about that car that he loved because it implies that he sold his other cars to facilitate right. the... He would have had the, to. The, the power, yeah. Because I think that's maybe a car that you win or something because it's a yeah. concept, right? So he would have had to sell other cars to get to that point, and that's very questionable. But it's also, as I was saying, like the worst era of American cars. Like that <laughs> early 2000s, so bad. Everything yeah. was just awful, so... Yeah, so we played GT4 for a while until the uh, ribbon cable had damaged the disc so much. And it was making awful noises when it was in there. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong until it was too late. Yeah, that was it. So it was, it was actually today, wasn't it? Like, all of a sudden, just this kind of weird screeching, kind of almost crunching noise. It was like, what the hell's going on? Um, so once we kind of stopped playing, I took the disc out and realized the perfectly circular scratches. I uh, did some googling and as always seems to be the case with those type of issues, many, many results of people having similar problems um, from like 2016, 2015 onwards. Once again, kind of highlighting the issue was that the kind of the glue had become loose that held the ribbon cable down. Um, it's, it's interesting because it either implies it's happened when we've been using the console now or for some reason... Uh, the ribbon wasn't touching the discs prior to us playing the PS2 not the past day. Yeah. So, who knows, it could, it could be a mix of both. GT4 is a, a very large game, so you can hear the disc working over time, right. basically. So it wouldn't be a surprise if it was just the, kind of the load on the console that eventually kind of melted yeah. away that last fibre of glue. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll never truly know what it was, but it did cause us to stop playing GT4 because we got to a point where every time we would try we would usually be okay in the race but anytime we tried to load a replay we get yeah. the discrete there you get the uh, red loading screen icon and that's how you know that your run is fucked yeah. so after that we turn to Ridge Racer 5 although we played Ridge Racer 5 the previous night too and that's been really really stressful for me personally <laughs> because yeah. uh, we started playing Ridge Racer 5 and we were a little bit drunk I was like I got this we're going hard mode starting a fresh save uh, first car I picked was the Revelta Solar. 
which is probably the hardest card to drive in the game because it has the most speed, but it corners terribly. And uh, it's a drift car as well, so it's a little bit harder to control. And uh, yeah, first couple races were a little challenging, but okay. And then we get to the last race of the first championship, which is a Bayside line. And uh, yeah, I went through all like four of the chances or whatever uh, on hard mode. It's yeah. really tough because the way that that game is set up is that uh, Ridge Racer 5 is that if you're on the hard mode, you need to have your it's most important that your first lap is good because if your first lap is good you can pass all of those cars very quickly within the first lap and almost get the first place in the first lap uh if you leave it till the second or third lap to make up that time you won't because they just get faster and faster as the race progresses yeah. and they the the gaps between the cars get wider and wider so you need to have a banger of a first lap and it wasn't coming together, I'd like to say because I'm drunk. But I'd also like to say because um, that PS2 controller is oh, just awful with God. the face buttons being analog. I mean, I, yeah. my thumb hurts. It still hurts. It's something we've realized just playing the PlayStation 2 in general. Like, that is not a good gamepad um, because of these pressurized buttons. For some games, it doesn't make too much of a difference. But in, like, Ridge Racer, you're really fucking hammering down that button. And for somebody like me, where it's been quite a long time since I've played Type 5, I just quickly realised there was no way I was going to be quick enough to try and win like on hard. I gave it a few goes, but I think, um, yeah, it was more a mix of unfamiliarity with the game because it's been so long, and also that controller was just fucking annoying me because you have to hold it in so, like, cards, the buttons, it's... It's not, yeah, it's, it's not an enjoyable experience because of that. The game is obviously still great, but um, the controller does its best to try and amplify any annoyances you have with the AI or that type of thing. Yeah. It's why I, I have that rear PS2 that can, or PS3 can play the PS2 and PS1 games. Yeah. And uh, the PS3 doesn't have the pressure sensitive buttons, ah. so that's not an issue. So it's. Um, it's a lot more comfortable to play games like that on the PS3 with the DualShock 3 yeah. if you can. Uh, but yeah, that was that was difficult. So we took after that we took the night off because I was really fucking pissed off. And then the next day we came back to it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just it was only like uh, an hour ago. It's I they give you like four chances, and on the last one I finally nailed it. This time I was driving the Mercurio, yeah. so the grip car, which is a different kind of experience, but. God, that, that hard... The game on hard is difficult right from the get-go because the first... It's four races. The first one you can finish fourth and qualify, then third, then second, then the last one you have to win, and it's a tough race to win, man. Yeah, I mean, even on your fourth attempt, your final attempt to win, it really did go down to that very last second to make the overtake, and um, it was a good moment. No, <laughs> oh, it was a good moment. We should have gotten it. We should have captured it on the Instagram or something like that. Because it was the pass was on the front straight right before the start finish yes. for that track, yeah. which is right before the tunnel. Because the the straightaway is you, you know it's under that overpass for a while, and then there's that little left right, and then you go up into a tunnel, and that's where the line is. So just like I just pipped them at the line, and it was uh, it was a triumphant feeling. And I'm glad I did that in front of you. <laughs> I think yeah. that's that's really what it was. I had someone to watch and yeah. record that this actually happened. Well, I think that's the, the weird thing about it, especially in these types of racing games. You always leave your best performances for an audience. And um, 
yeah, that was uh, some incredible stuff that would be talked about in the history books for a long time. If, right. if I ever write a history book about Ridge Racer 5 achievements, I think yours will be front and centre, Adam. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we're pretty much playing this week. Um, yeah, GT4 spent spent most of the time with GT4, but obviously problems prevented us from, from continuing with that game. But what we learned was that as good as a, I mean, GT4 is a fantastic game, but it's, you don't think you'd get that into it again after all these years. Yeah. Just in the flat, on the couch, just all you have to do is play GT4, but it's, yeah. that game is still amazingly addictive. It really is, and the good thing is because, like, in the environment, we've got this Airbnb, um, obviously it's got cable and stuff, but we don't really care about that. Um, we're forced to watch Crank, for example, the first, <laughs> first night in the premiere in. Um, it was just like that was our source of entertainment and it really felt like a blast from the past almost like just this is our way kind of our entertainment for the night and you keep thinking oh another 15-20 minutes in your head that's what you're internally thinking then an hour later you're realising you're still playing it's still enjoyable and it's really highlighted just how much I miss that kind of no interruptions um, fully engrossed racing game experience it doesn't rely on the actual kind of gameplay itself, but rather the full gameplay loop in terms of what's happening off the track as well. Because it, it's just something we don't really have nowadays. When people talk about like content, they're either talking about the number of races or how many like kind of track learning tools and stuff there is. But GT4 just has an atmosphere in its gameplay loop that really encourages that feeling of looking at what's available in the used car dealerships, checking what the best possible critical path is to get the cars you want. It's just got all of that going for it and to be honest nowadays we don't really get that now and it's a bit of a shame. It still feels like such a big game and I think yeah. that's an amazing achievement 15 years on. Uh, yeah, I mean GT4 just feels so massive. and. Maybe even more so than five or six. And five, yeah. I think, technically is a bigger game, you know, just objectively speaking. But there were so many things you didn't want to do in five, whether it was the procedurally generated rallies or yeah. the Sebastian Loeb challenge or this or that, or the fact that you had to go to the used car dealership to buy all the cars in the game. And just all of these weird quirks about five that, yes, there were all these things to do, but you didn't want to do any of them because the game just sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas GT4 <laughs> is like... There's so much available to you. There's so many things you can do. I don't think there's a game. And, and plus, when you start it, too, you have that Gran Turismo mode map, right? You, yeah, you see yeah. all the icons, the dealerships everywhere. It just feels so rich and, and deep, and I don't think there's a game I've really played since that kind of creates that feeling in me. Yeah. Like, even though there have been bigger racing games, technically speaking, just something about GT4... Just the combination of the way it doles out prizes, the content that has, even the music, you know, yeah. just going in, <laughs> going into the Gran Turismo mode and every time you look at the map, there's a different song on and yeah, it just still feels like such a trip and uh, it's making me want to really go back and, and seriously play the game when I return uh, back home and can play on that PS3 with the buttons that won't give me carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> I mean, that's a positive, right? Yeah. Anyway. So, like, it, GT4 has just been a joy to play, really, yeah. the past few days. Um, it's a shame this particular copy has met its end. 
um, I guess it's almost like a permanent marking of the experience we had with it. Right. So, you I can mean, never get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. never, never, ever. <laughs> it's going to be the, the, the official first piece of merch of the Time Extend Shrine. It's like, we'll charge way too much for it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's unpurchasable. It's yeah. just like it's when we start Patreon, it's gonna be the number one reward, and that tier is gonna be like five hundred dollars or yeah. something like that to get the <laughs> the copy of GT4 that barely works that we played in the flat one time in Glasgow. Exactly, and we talked about the fact that races themselves are fine, um, replays don't work. That was clearly an intentional decision by the PlayStation Two because right. it's saying like these experiences aren't duplicated. You, you do that race once, you can't watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I I think it's uh, you know it really says something. There's a deeper meaning there. It's like that is art, you know. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Art is always uh, subjective. Uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. This copy of Gran Turismo Four is now um, is now a for, well a, a very well remembered memory, but it can't be played like any other copy. And that's special. Absolutely. <laughs> I suppose we should touch on the Sega stuff a little bit. Um, yeah. Because, you know, those of you listening, you might have seen our stream. Uh, thanks for uh, watching along if you did. It was a long one. It was two hours, but it was yeah. so much fun. Uh, we played virtual racing for, I think, longer than I thought we would. Yeah. Uh, and that was simply because we had the full eight players going. And as we discovered, virtual racing, eight player multiplayer is just, it's a blast because, like, I don't know if catch-up was on or it wasn't, but whatever the case was, there were so many instances where we were going down, you know, the heading towards the start-finish line, five wide, in formation, because <laughs> everyone was just that close together. It, it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I, when I seen that it had eight-player, I was like, eh, that's a pretty cool gimmick. I think most people would have thought the same, and those who haven't played it will still think so. But I was just genuinely shocked at how exciting it was to play in that environment, because there's not many if any racing games that allow you to do that on one console nowadays and even just the fact you're playing with like single joy-cons and stuff like it kind of the single joy-con over the actual switch screen is a bit hellish Mm -hmm. but the single joy-con as long as the screen's big enough is a fine experience usually and yeah like you were saying some of the fucking tracks were going in five wide into corners that type of thing Um, it's why Obviously, from a kind of technical point of view, Acropolis is the, the kind of the best track skill-wise to, to kind of be good at. But Big Forest is just like the perfect amount of beginner difficulty. Where um, if you put together a solid lap, you're probably going to be on a par with like some really good guys at the game. So that's why it was so great to see the constant changes and who was first and then going five wide. Um, it was oh, it was wild. It was great fun. And like you were saying, it was a two-hour stream. It didn't feel like it whatsoever, and no. a lot of it was taken up by virtual racing. Yeah, lots of different winners of those races too. Uh, yeah. Alex, as as you'd expect, uh, is you know really good at the game. Yeah. Uh, you're amazing. I feel like I got better <laughs> racing against uh, both of you and uh, Martha from Sega. Really good yeah, too. So good. it was like mostly the four of us just kind of swapping places. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And I think because of it, I have a newfound appreciation for virtual racing. I always yeah. enjoyed the game. But after we did VR, we played Daytona, um, you know, the, the 360, uh, the backwards compatible version yeah. that they had on the Xbox Live Arcade. And that was fun. We got uh, Justin Towell uh, joined in. Yep. Uh, that was good. Him and uh, Gustavo, those two guys were, uh, they, you couldn't touch them the nah, whole, they were rapid. The whole yeah. day. Yeah, they were, they were so fast. And the thing is, that was fun. 
But I think virtual racing was a little bit more fun simply because everyone was closer together. There were more lead changes. I think Daytona still is like, for me at least, like it's just a more fun game to play, technically speaking. Like the gameplay, the handling, the physics just are more what I like. It's also more what I'm used to. But I think in terms of, you know, head-to-head racing... Uh, Daytona came up a little short compared to virtual racing just because of how forgiving virtual racing is and how yeah. everybody can have yeah. fun. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like comparing, say, like Super Smash Brothers to like playing your friends in like Street Fighter or something <laughs> like that. It's like, yeah, if you get two people who are really good at Street Fighter, you're going to watch some amazing matches. But if you're just trying to have a good time with everyone, you're you want to play Super Smash. Smash. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. And um, even because everyone's in the same room and that type of thing it was kind of replicating an arcade experience that is pretty much dead now like you're lucky if you find a single cab with these types of game nowadays um never mind the idea that you could have four cabs in a row with eight player like that just is that was rare back in the day never mind nowadays um but it was just it was very exciting because it felt as if there's so many battles on the track and Obviously, if you crash out, you give away a lot of time, and then that would let people back in the race. It was just a really good experience, and even though you're kind of streaming in front of a, a kind of an audience and it's live, um, it was very easy to totally forget that and get so engrossed in the actual race experience. And I think that just kind of highlights that, um, as we've said before, M2 really deserves the chance to, to put another um, arcade racer onto to the Switch through the Ages Collection. Um, the likelihood that would be at this point, I would say, would probably be Daytona. So who knows what type of weird stuff they'll put in that game if That'd they were be to so get cool. over. So cool! I'm so curious what they yeah. would bring over. I'm yeah. the same. Like, yeah, M2 of my full support for that. And to be honest, I think um, we're due a Daytona or something on the Switch now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then once we were done with that, we hung around Sega for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, they do have several Dreamcasts there. So we were playing some uh, some Sega Rally 2, some MSR, um, and that, that was a fun time. Uh, what I will say for anyone who watches the Sega streams very quickly and is like, why don't they play Sega Rally 2? Why don't they play MSR? <laughs> it's because of licenses, and that's why. So, you know, that's why you're, you you play the games that, that you can play and that you can stream, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Sega as well, like, they, they want to be putting across the content that people can still enjoy for the most part as well. So, like, Daytona makes sense because it's backwards compatible. You can still experience that and enjoy it. Yeah. Same with uh, Virtua Racing on the Switch. So, they, they want to kind of get games that not only you enjoy watching, but also you can get involved if you really want to. And that's why it was really cool to see all those names on Daytona. Because we've talked before, we've been doing some Revo lobby, lobbies and stuff as well. So, imagine the, the activity between those two combined games online is probably higher than like the past two years the servers have been online. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Uh, a lot of people joining us, and you know, we've been doing that in the Time Extend Discord with the time trials and the, or yeah. the you know the challenges that Andy's been putting together between Sega Rally Revo and then uh, now Toka. So I have to get on, get on that because I think it's going to end soon, and I don't have a copy, and I haven't emulated <laughs> it yet. So I have to enter into that myself. But um, yeah. So and and Daytona is easy enough, you know. Like you said, it's on Xbox One. Uh, it's on 360 PS3. I have the PS3 version. Yeah, same. Uh, there should be a way that uh, you can play that game, especially if you have an Xbox One. It's great that it's still backwards compatible. Yeah, definitely. And it's amazing to be honest that Sega still have the license for uh, Daytona as it stands. Like I think that's really cool. 
given yeah. that um, a, a, lo- a lot of the problems with these older games is licensing expiring. Obviously, the kind of the, the holders of Daytona trademark uh, and circuit itself probably know how important that game is to, to the legacy of the, the kind of the name. So it doesn't really make sense for them to kind of kick up a fuss about kind of expiring the contract or whatever. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that. Yeah, they, they understand how important the game is and they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't care about, like, making it difficult, you know, for Sega, which yeah. is good. Toyota and Lancia should do the same for Sega Rally. <laughs> yep, they absolutely should. <laughs> I'm really trying to think about what M2 could add to a Daytona Sega Ages port, and it's tough because yeah. it's not like you can just drop, like, oh, we'll put in, like, National Park Speedway or whatever, because the track would have to fit, you know, the Model 2 yeah. framework, yeah. so... I really don't know what they could do. I mean, maybe maybe they could uh, put the horse back in the game. <laughs> maybe, yeah. And they could yeah. do something like that, but be cool. I think one day we'll see it happen. Yeah, I think they, they'll primarily just focus on making it as arcade perfect as possible as well. Like, the Virtua Racing port is so good because they put so much care into that emulation, and it's a game that has been emulated poorly before. Um, so I think M2 will put a good bit of quality trademark seal on it, and who knows, perhaps they'll even be better, to, sorry, they might be able to even better Sega's attempts themselves, because M2 are really good at this type of thing. Yeah, at the very least we could get a new song, that would be really cool. Oh yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. So, yeah, that's that's been a good recap of the week, and at this point I think it's, it's time we should probably talk about shocks, right? while hasn't it since we've dedicated uh, half an episode or so um, to a full game last time around I think it was Grids that we talked about quite yeah. a lot um, Shocks though this is something that um, obviously it's a bit of a recurring joke on the pod uh, within the community but recently we've actually seen that a lot of people have been in, did enjoy this game and actually have memories of it through the kind of tweets we've been making and stuff and um, it just this was the perfect opportunity really for you to kind of get stuck in because you've talked before about how US copies were kind of hard to source for some reason and um, they're, they're easy to come across here. So yeah, so uh, something I discovered before we started playing was that uh, I thought the game was released for both the PS2 and the GameCube. Yeah. Apparently, it only came out for the PS2. The GameCube version was supposed to come out and then got canceled, I guess, because yeah. it didn't make the you know, the holiday season or whenever it is that they wanted that game to come out in like late 2002. So it only ever made it out for the PS2 and US copies are very rare. They're yeah. just very rare. Um, they have a different cover. Uh, we got the <laughs> Mini Cooper on, sure. the, on the cover, which does not look good. And yeah, it's a weird choice. Yeah, yeah. You got the uh, the 959 rally car, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, the, the Australian game had a Holden on the front. <laughs> Of course, <laughs> and uh, yes, do. the Japanese game got a retitle as well, Rally Shocks, mm-hmm. 
and that had the was it the nine yeah it was just the nine five nine so the other covers have two covers yeah but the Japanese cover just has the nine five nine but I mean I've talked about shocks before on varying degrees Adam this is your first experience of it so I guess you can kind of kick us off in terms of your thoughts and what you've found about it so far yeah so uh, doing a little bit of research about shocks as we're playing the game. Uh, I found out that it was, and there's not a lot of information about this game out there. There's, yeah. there's really no information about this <laughs> game out there. Shocks has been lost to time, and uh, I discovered that uh, apparently it had been uh, only in development for eight months. Yeah, it was a very quick development cycle. Very quick that they turned this game around. It was built on the F1 2002 engine, so they took the engine, they made some quick tracks. There's, a, there's a good amount of cars in the game. There's like 25 between 25 and 30 cars. Yeah, but it was made kind of slapdash. And in spite of that, it's very good, but there are some things that kind of tip it off that this game was made quickly and didn't have yeah. the longest development cycle. Um, it's, you know, in terms of the physics, uh, in terms of like the frame rate and stuff, the graphics, it all feels high quality, like 60 frames per second. The handling, the handling model is simplistic, but it's good enough for what the game needs to be. The tracks are wide enough. It's not a very technical uh, arcade racer. Yeah. It's um, in some ways it feels kind of similar to Sega Rally uh, Two or you know even Revo to a certain extent yeah. because like it's very easy to just steer and not really have to manage a throttle or brake and just get into a drift and just be able to slide like that. But the problem is, uh, so the game can get very difficult, which is is fine. You know I'm not really used to. Uh, difficult arcade racers anymore these days. I don't think any of us are because <laughs> yeah. there just aren't many of them. But uh, that's a bit of a wake-up call when you find out out the gate that this game's a little bit hard. The issue is that uh, the collision detection and uh, kind of when two cars crash into each other or when you, say, go off a jump or you're, you're trying to make a turn, you end up in the ditch or you end up on like the side of a hill or something like that, the game... Uh, really doesn't know what to do with your car in those moments. You, <laughs> It gets very glitchy, and you lose a lot of momentum, and you have to start all over again, and it kind of it, it ruins the experience every now and then. Yeah, I mean, what we found out about this game was that it was built upon the Formula 1 2002 engine um, that was already in place from EA's games, and... I don't think it'd be a stretch to say that maybe some of the weird responses to collisions and stuff might kind of come from uh, the, the heritage of that engine purely because um, in open wheel games when two cars crash it usually just you lose all your momentum, there's some like kind of a, a race ending crash or something to that regard. <laughs> yeah. So like trying to like retroactively fit the physics and engine in that um, into a kind of rally environment, an arcade rally environment, um, it was probably easier for them to go down the route of like Similar to the way Ridge Racer does it to a certain extent, where if you crash, you're losing a lot of momentum, it can kind of break up your race. But the problem is that Shocks is such a like fast-paced, fun game to play that you almost get like the the not the good type of dread when you're kind of racing alongside someone. Like there are games where when you're racing alongside someone, it's really exciting and it's pretty hype to see how it how it unfolds. Like um. I mean, Gran Turismo 4, for example, I know like the collision engine and stuff in that game was a bit of a joke because it's a sim, but at least when two cars come together, it's not the end of the race, so it's pretty mm -hmm. fun to keep going, whereas in Shocks, it always felt as if you either nail the overtake or you have to fall behind the other car, because if you try and drive alongside them, um, the physics engine's going to react very weirdly. 
and that was something we both realised as we were playing like there's just there's parts of the track where it might be bumpy which is already a challenge and if there's a car nearby then just expect for the worst to happen you'll get flipped over facing the wrong way <laughs> kind of derails your race and, and like you were saying it's a difficult game so see if this was slightly easier it would probably be less frustrating but like similar to Ridge Racer 5 which we're playing in many ways um, if you want to get those gold shock zones you've got to be bang on there is no leeway given from the start of the game it's just straight into that difficult gameplay and the collision engine is definitely um, in something that's basically replicating rallycross it's enough of a red flag to, to make the experience a bit worse for wear compared to what it would be if they'd even just decided to have default kind of cardboard box like models that kind of touch together right and it's kind of funny because like when you go off of a jump or something in shocks uh, a lot of cars some are a little bit better at handling yeah uh, you know the yeah. elevation and the jumps better than others but some really aren't and there's kind of like that the tour of a fa- it really does make sense it was built on the f1 engine because it's like you know f1 cars aren't meant to crash into each other and they aren't <laughs> exactly meant to yeah. leave the ground and come crashing down and those are two things that shock struggles with yeah uh you know when you leave the ground in shocks and then you come down you hit the ground there's this almost kind of like tin can effect like there's yeah. no suspension at play the car just kind of teeters and bounces and scares around yeah. a bit and it's just not quite right because these are rally cars so you would think that there would be a little bit more physics behind that and yeah. they just aren't in this game um but it's so fast and it's so generally fun uh, that you still want to keep trying, you still want to keep going. And a lot of that has to do with the whole kind of crux of the game, which is the shock zones. Yeah. So this is something that confused me a lot before we started playing <laughs> and I, I very quickly came to understand because it is pretty intuitive the way they do it. Um, you know, just picture like three sectors around the track on a given lap and the shock zone is really just a sector and what you want to do is you want to complete the sector in the quickest amount of time, you know, like you would if you were trying to get a fast lap to begin with. The thing is, depending on the time that you complete the sector, you might get a gold medal, you might get a silver or a bronze and uh, you get more cash obviously if you get one of those better, you know, performances, the gold or the silver. And on top of that, if you get gold in all of them, you unlock that shocks wave where the next time you go through a shock zone, there will be this weird kind of wall of, of, of energy, of wind, whatever it is. It's this shock wave that moves through the track and you actually want to, it's, it's weird, you want to catch up to it and once you've caught up to it, you can't really pass it. So you want to stay glued, you want to stay right behind it as long as possible until you hit the next shock wave, or the next uh, shock zone, and then it will skip ahead of you even further and you want to yep. catch it again, and you just want to keep linking those together, and the longer you do it for, was it, you have more grip, the faster you go, and also the more money you'll earn. Yeah. So it does definitely have that EA big DNA, you know, that you got from games like SSX and, and NBA Street, where you have these like kind of sort of, um, you know, the, the, the game breakers in NBA Street, for yeah. example, or like the tricky me, there are these like intra, whether, whether you're doing a race or a basketball game or whatever it is, these EA big games always had that game within the game. Yeah. And that's what Shocks does really well. And it's really simple because Brendan, you made the comment, it really is just sector times. That's it. Yeah. You just want to get it. the best sector time, but it works really well. And it means that there's that extra wrinkle. You can't just win the race. <laughs> You gotta platinum everything, you gotta get yeah. gold on all the shock zones, and it makes the game just more rewarding. 
Yeah, exactly, and like, like you referenced there, the platinum element as well. We talked about how you gold the zones to unlock the Shocks Wave. Um, every track in the game has a platinum car that you can use once you get all gold zones. And if you're uh, basically, that that unlocks another tier of time. And you see how hard the gold ones are. And um, from what we can tell, and what I remember as well from playing it and completing it way back, the platinum cars are not necessarily the best cars on those tracks. So it doesn't make it any easier. It's actually, in some cases, it wants you to use a car that typically wouldn't be good at that track. Because we're talking about the weird way cars react uh, to jumps. Now, I think that that is best illustrated by the Stratos itself. Um, it's in the game alongside the Celica and Delta, so you can see that kind of Sega Rally heritage there. But the Stratos in particular, it's as if it's built not to do those like really crazy jumps. So when you do them, like you, you would expect the game to kind of accommodate for it and make it a bit easier. It doesn't. Like a lot of the time you're getting up those jumps, it lands those first and you're losing a lot of speed. So there are platinum cars that purposely have those like deficits in personality. So the game really puts you through the ringer if you want to unlock everything. And um, that's not even talking about the gamble races as well. The gamble races. <laughs> I think um, the concept of the gamble races is cool. Basically, if you want to buy another car, you can do that. Or you can gamble for half price where, uh, or even less than half price in some cases, where yeah. let's say it takes 400,000 credits to buy a car. You're not going to do that because this is too expensive at whatever point in the game you're in. So you can gamble 120,000 or so yeah. where uh, basically you have these really, really short races where you're in the car uh, that you're trying to win, you're also racing against the same car, and yeah. you just need to pass your competitor before the end of that like short, you know, sector sure. of a track. And uh, if you do that, you get the car. Great, you only need to spend 120,000 credits for it, you know, a fraction. <laughs> yeah. And if you lose, you lose all the money. Now the next time you go to try and gamble to win that car, the gamble price will be halved. So yeah. at least the more you do it, the cheaper it gets. Uh, but those races are really tough sometimes. Uh, we were doing the one to win the Celica SC205, and it seemed like it was impossible. Because yeah. you really only have two corners to really make up ground against your competitor, and they also get a head start. Yeah, that's that, another thing. Yeah. That doesn't help. Uh, and I just wish they were longer races, you know? Yeah, I mean, the approach they've clearly taken with the, the gamble races and why they're short is that it's specific parts of specific tracks that those cars are really good in. So, like, the Seliger's really good at high-speed turns, so it's 290-degree turns, basically. So, like, the, the AI is going to nail that every time, and if you can't, you're not going to unlock yeah. it, and it's so difficult. The Stratos one was, like, this weird kind of, like, few S-bends on half-bumpy, half-normal ground. If you try to go up the bumpy part, as we talked about, it doesn't handle bumps well, so mm. there's no way you do it. But if you find the right racing line, I think we cleared that one, like, the second attempt. Um... I think it would have been better to have one lap races on yeah. tracks that are good at because at least then you could try and rescue it. The other issue with the gamble races as well is it's a fantastic concept and I really like the idea of it. But the the kind of the problems are twofold in the sense that the cars are priced so highly that the reality is that probably while playing for a regular playthrough of the game, you're gonna buy very few actual cars because the prices you're talking about would require doing many races multiple times. And because the, the gamble race is already half and then it continuously get halved, 
In what circumstance do you just buy a car? I can only imagine that factors in once you've completed the game and are trying to get every car. And then it might be easier for the compact class where everything's a bit cheaper to just buy them and you don't have to do the gamble races. But like, the gamble race thing alone could have probably been in the game without the option to buy the car. And the option to buy just seems to be there to make it seem more exciting, the fact you can gamble for it. And that's fine, but it, it just seems a bit silly to have that buy option. Yeah, I think maybe the buy option is for people like us who can't win that SC205. <laughs> just race for hours getting the cash. Yeah, I just really <laughs> wish they made it cheaper to buy. Like, it's yeah. it's prohibitively expensive to buy yeah, to that, the point where you would saying, never yeah. do it unless you really couldn't win a car. But then, like, you need a car, obviously, to make it through those series. You know, you yeah. need you need the, uh, I don't know, the sports class car to make it through the sports series or whatever it is, right? So you're never just going to sit there grinding and grinding and grinding and compact until you've made all this money where you're going to buy a car. You're going to gamble first. And then, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. once you have that car that you need, you're probably going to just continue throughout the game and that car that you wanted that you couldn't win you'll just forget about until the end at which point like you're saying you might just buy it so that you can say you 100% of the game so it's kind of weird they should have made those cheaper but again it's one of those things that like I like the concept I like that they did it yeah Uh, it reminds me of games like SSX and stuff that just did interesting things with sports games and we were saying before the show it would have been really nice if they just brought back that EA big yeah, publisher, sure. you know, kind of uh, theme that that series of games because uh, they brought a lot of fun ideas to relatively not boring sports, but you know, traditional sports. Yeah, and uh, you know, shocks is is rally reinvented, and I don't know if they reinvented rally, but they they gave it a good shot, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, the game just like it's lost the time. No one really knows it existed, <laughs> and. Uh, they never, you know, made a sequel or anything like that. So, uh, for for something that was developed in such a short time, uh, I guess they were just hoping maybe to get the yeah. biggest return on a small investment as possible, but didn't pan out that way. I think that's it. Like, I don't, I don't think for a second that this is uh, one of these tragic tales we talk about with big budget arcade racers. We went through the most obvious ones a lot recently with Blur, Split Second, Mod Nation, that type of thing. This is just more of a a nice. Slightly gimmicky rally racer that looked at what was already out there and thought, well, what can we do? Because I was looking at a Eurogamer article that was written when the game was announced, and the first paragraph is basically just a spiel about how many rally games there were. It calls V Rally the king of rally games or something odd like that. Uh, fair play if that's your take. Um, <laughs> but like, the whole spiel before it was just about how lamenting the fact that EA wanted a piece of the, the rally game pie and stuff and the fact that it was under the big license was really just to try and capitalise on the SSX stuff. But in reality, like Shocks kind of does what it sets out to do really well. It introduced a gameplay concept that hadn't been attempted before. It reinvented that element of rally by still keeping time sectors and stuff as an important part of it, which you could argue a lot of other rally games don't really try and do. It just it has the feel of an eight month dev cycle game. So I don't think like it's a negative that Shocks didn't quite take the world by storm. I think it's just one of the rare examples we see where a game tried to do something within its remit, within the licenses that were available, um, within the kind of the, the, the limited n- number of music tracks they had yeah, access exactly. to. It's like three songs in that yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. And then like even we, we didn't get to that part of the game, obviously, but you've seen there's a brief cutscene with a random uh, Porsche. 
yeah. that talks to you. Yeah. <laughs> as if it's like this boss villain guy. It's like Need for Speed Most Wanted. Yeah, yeah. that's it. The, the, the character you play at the end drives a bog-standard regular Porsche um, that is highly like theorised to be a character from a Need for Speed game, or so some people have ah, said on YouTube anyway, okay. in terms of like looking at retro specs and stuff. And that's purely because it's a Porsche, I can't remember the exact model, but it has like the kind of police lighting scheme. Mm. It would be in like, the hot pursuit and stuff okay. like that. So there's sure. a, a weird. I mean, I, I'm willing to give them it. Like it's total, <laughs> it's total fan theory about shocks. But, never but that shocks about. fan community, you know, fan theory community is just rabid. They're always so yeah. vocal and right up there with like Harry Potter and oh, Sonic. Hundred yeah. percent. I'm yeah. pretty sure the character is called the Interceptor. Like I think that's yeah. the, the title it goes with in the game. Um, so there's this weird police Porsche at the very end of the game waiting for you that makes no sense in the context. I love that there are the people the that game. actually try like to theorize, you know, yeah. I mean, their own headcanon about where the the boss car in shocks is from. I mean, we've talked about this quite a lot because even the the Ridge Racer um, waifus thing is something <laughs> that we think kind of different because uh, we we are more focused on the carfus in those games. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's also interesting the the tale of shocks because uh, comes from a studio. We didn't say who developed the game. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was EA UK, which is not around anymore. They were known later on as EA Bright Light. They were based in Guildford, and they weren't really a racing game studio. As it turns out, uh, they made F one two thousand one, and then they turned around and made shocks. Uh, later on, they made Burnout Dominator, uh, probably the most forgotten Burnout game. Yeah. Because it wasn't, yeah. it was the only non-Criterion developed one. Yep. And it was on PSP and PS2, which is really weird. And I, I've never touched uh, Dominator. But I remember the reviews being kind of middling. Yeah. Um, and then later on, uh, they made the PSP port of Need for Speed Shift. And those are really all the racing games they made. Everything else was they made a lot of Harry Potter games. They made a lot of games based on uh, Hasbro board games. So you have Monopoly, Trivial Pursuit, Hasbro Family Game Night. Uh, and yeah, so they, they weren't really a studio that dabbled in this a lot. Um, you know, like some studios, like some companies we talk about, like Auto Model Lisa being kind of a weird game yeah. coming from Capcom that doesn't usually make racing games. And. Uh, Konami's dabbling in it with Enthusia and whatnot. Uh, it's interesting when studios go outside the realm and try and make a racing game, uh, especially I think them being from the UK because usually the you know the obviously motorsports is such a big thing here, yeah, yeah. and uh, you think they maybe would have stuck with it more. Shocks was a valiant effort, uh, and that's really all you can say about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and um, it. It's a it's put it this way. It's a lot more memorable than other games from that generation, within the same ballpark. I know this was this was fledged as a full retail title. That's probably just EA going a bit EA on it. Um, I think if they'd even priced it as a budget title, it could have done really well. It strikes yeah. me as the type of game nowadays that would wouldn't feel out of place as a PlayStation Network title or right. a kind of downloadable Xbox game. And we saw a lot of reviews uh, looking into this game where it's like whether it was EGM or Gamespot, everybody was just like, yeah, if these prices of the budget title yeah. would be an easy recommend. But you know, you think about it being fifty dollars back in two thousand two, and yeah, at that point you're kind of reaching a point where. The arcade racing games of old, where you just have a preset amount of cars, a small amount of tracks, yeah. uh, not really, 
in the early 2000s with the rise of Gran Turismo and stuff, that, that stuff doesn't really cut it anymore. And that's, yeah. I think, the issue they ran into. I think one of the things is, like, it's, it's incredibly streamlined and to the point. There isn't much to faff around with whatsoever. And, like, yeah, for an arcade game, you could say that's kind of to be expected. But, for example, when we were playing Burnout Revenge, my god, the downtime in yeah. that game. Yeah. Just, like, so many loading screens, saving to memory card, um, delays in the crash mode, no way to get around those. Delays in the full motion video playing yeah, behind uh, the main menu. Yeah, that was a weird bugbear of mine. <laughs> um, the, the, the FMV just continuously loads and then stops and loads. Like, that game was another EA game with a probably, maybe a bigger budget. Revenge was kind of a strange one, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Like, it was kind of like a, a stopgap after three, in a way. Yeah. Uh, but it probably had a bigger budget than Shocks, I'm willing to say that. And um, that one just had so much, like, fluff around mm-hmm. what it was actually trying to do. Even, mm-hmm. like, post-race screens and stuff, when you did the traffic attack and it felt the need to have, like, four different screens appear <laughs> before you go back to the main menu. And then, like, the delays between seeing what event you want to do and choosing your car. Like, I think arcade racers can't be too streamlined, and that's where Shocks kind of falls flat at a full price point. Um, but there were definitely other games, like especially going back and playing these consoles. Like Revenge's downtime's enough for a reason alone for me, probably not to go back yeah. and play that because with Shocks, I'm into the race so quickly. I, oh, yeah. I, it boots up rapid. Like Burnout, on the other hand, like you're talking like a good two, two and a half minutes between events, <laughs> which. And maybe our slightly spoiled times now, like not even Gran Turismo Sport would take that long to get you in an event. And I think you can, you're you're okay with that when you're playing a game like Gran Turismo or one of the early Forza games, yeah. Because you know you're gonna be in these races for a while. It's a slower experience, sure. But burnout, you know, burnout's just testosterone fueled yeah. aggression. You just wanna just get out there and race. And, and revenge really hams that up as well. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. So when there's a loading screen every single time you go to do something. <laughs> It really kind of diminishes uh, the fun factor. But yeah, I think on the scale of whether it's too streamlined or maybe could use more fluff, I think Shocks gets that right for the most part. I, I guess, you know, because we're looking at it today from a perspective, obviously you've loved the game for a long time. Yeah. But because we're looking at it today from a perspective of like these games don't get made much anymore, um, you know, it's kind of, it's nice to return to a game like that, you know, that's yeah. very simple. Um, that's very straightforward and especially some of the i don't want to say callbacks or references or whatever but just like you know the stratos the delta and the sc205 are all in the same car class that can't have been accidental (laughs) and there's just something about the handling model in shocks that reminds me actually a lot of say rally twos yeah just the ease with which you can turn um the fact that you're really not hitting the brake the whole much no uh like a, a whole lot so you know, so kind of if you, you guide the car into the, the kind of the the barriers at the right angle, yep. similar to Revo, funnily enough, you can kind of keep your speed for the most part. And that's the funny thing about it. We talked a lot about the how much we bemoan the collisions and the jumping. But the fact that the overall like the overall kind of gameplay and the handling engine is actually pretty good, I would say. And it isn't until you unfortunately come across those type of events where you need to jump or crash into someone that kind of grinds the experience to a halt a bit. I think overall though, I would take another shocks over the million games that are trying to replicate that horizon level success or the, the kind of the milestone model of 
kind of licensed arcade games only arcade because they don't have the time to make a sim engine for them. It's... That's the thing, you made such a good point when you were just like, look at all the rally games made today. Because rally is yeah. one of those weird sub-genres within racing games that still is somewhat thriving. Whether it's Gravel, WRC, a couple of years ago you had Sebastian Loeb, Evo Rally. Yep. There's obviously still dirt games being made. And all of these games, I mean, you know, most of them are Sims, but like you look at a game like Gravel, for example, all that is, is, you know, their off-road racing rally engine, whatever, made easier, not as difficult to get the cars around the track. You know, if you're going to do that, why not try and bring some new ideas to the table? V-Rally as well. V-Rally, I forgot about V-Rally. But if you're going to go that route, you know, why not go all the way? Why not? Do something like the shock zones. That's just yeah. really interesting. You know, it's not, and you brought this up as well. It's not that different from Drive Club's approach with like the challenges within races. Yeah, uh, that made that game a lot of fun. I think Shocks actually does it better because it it hams it up, but it hams it up in a way where, you know, you hear that clock ticking. Yeah, you're yeah. you're acutely aware. And in, in Drive Club, sometimes I would forget that I was doing a challenge and I had to win it if I was going to gold the gold star the event. Yeah. And in Shocks, you're you never miss an opportunity to you always know what's on the line in that game. Yeah, yeah, because it's like even stupid things like having the amount of cash you fucking earned front and center on the screen. Right. That's something yeah. that probably doesn't have to be there and it's more to make the game look as if more's going on. Yep. Um, the announcer. But the, oh, the announcer's really good. Yeah, yeah like it's... This is it? <laughs> Go! Yeah. Good announcer in that game. Yeah, yeah that's probably one of the, the most underrated parts of it, to be honest, because um, once again, just to make a comparison to Burnout, for example, it's hard not to cringe at how like, try-hard and epic like revenge tries to make it. Like, hate, hate everyday traffic, now's your chance to get revenge. And it's just yeah. like... It, it doesn't sound as cheesy and corny as it does, like, very pandering to that kind of type of driving burnout has, whereas, like, Shocks manages to capture the nature of those type of announcers that we loved from Sega games fairly well, I would say. There's a there's a loading screen uh, that we kept seeing in Revenge where it referred to players, the best players of Burnout, <laughs> as elite burners, and we both laughed, and you were just like, yeah, they probably thought that was really cool. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody playing the game is like, I want to be an elite burner, you know, shaking their <laughs> fist, and now it's just sad. Uh, you know, it was the era of DJ Atomica and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, I, that's the thing, though. Like, I quite like DJ Atomica. Yeah. Like, even now, like, it was this weird, like, we were talking about it in the, the other episode we recorded at Premiere and with yeah. uh, Hot Shots. There's this really weird, like, line between an announcer being good because of the cheese and the ham, and then, like, all it takes is for it to teeter in the other direction slightly, and it feels very off-putting, yeah. and... It's a part of racing games you would think would never be, like, something to talk about, but, like, I'm pretty sure the announcer has come up in a lot of the arcade racing games we talk about, and that, for that reason alone, it can't be a coincidence that the best racing games also have the best announcers. That's true. Yeah. Especially, like, Ridge Racer 5, when the guy (laughs) pronounces some words in a very strange manner. Yeah, don't get too close for comfort. Yeah. So, I think that rounds up shocks pretty well. Yeah. yeah, this has been a long time coming, and it's almost poetic that we're in room in a room to talk about it and get this one kind of put behind us. Um, just got so much to talk about, and it's good we're finally getting around to shocks. We're, we're talking the other day, like 
you always think of one episode idea and then another one appears and another one appears and to be honest the fact that we're 30 episodes plus now still talking about racing games and not resulting to the default conversations is pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, we do mention, like, Saint Rally 95 every episode now, but... Yeah, yeah, aside from that, but that, that's a must. <laughs> there, are, there are always more games to talk about, um, and it's funny, uh, we wanted to do this, uh, we oh. had been talking about this uh, before, and we almost forgot, but uh, thank you to Fernando, as always, for reminding us that yep. uh, we need to watch the Enthusia, well, Brendan needs to watch the Enthusia oh, intro, because he's never seen it before, yep. so you're going to get a little little bonus thing here of Brendan's live reactions to the Enthusia I kind of want to say on my phone to record the reactions <laughs> in the face. <laughs> it, might be, it might be a little weird, because I guess we're going to gonna play it so you're gonna hear it over the mic so because you need to hear the audio the yeah, yeah, important. yeah i understand that yeah. so bear with us give us a minute we're gonna get this going if you quote if you believe you can <laughs> therefore you can it's well, anonymous what is that a frame okay we've got children oh my god she's capturing the sun Oh no. <laughs> oh shit. Is that her? <laughs> Explain what happens. There's a, a photojournalist. She's oh, going to okay. shoot this race. Right. She looks very panicked. I mean, would you not be panicked? Yeah, I mean. What? So so we went from like a desert and God was speaking to us and yep. then we went to a racetrack and she was taking pictures and now we're in like Rome and there's an SLR and now we're back on yeah, the track. Yeah, we're back. That, that is not a car's move. Now we're back to the woman. Yep. Oh God, it's going for the overtake. I got a photo and what? there's a person on a the mini. Family photo. <laughs> <laughs> and now there's a younger <laughs> version of the lady playing with the mini. Is she in the back of the mini? Yes. Oh, okay, right. I get it. Oh my god, the mini's in her hand! Oh Big my. mini fan. Look at you, mini. Get that full. Oh, back to the race now. Get it. Oh, oh, spun out. shit. She's worried. She's young. Wow, that was the most panicked expression I've... Yep, the she car's crushed thing the out, mini. And I guess it hits her? I don't really Did she know just get happened. killed? Uh, she might have gotten killed. No, she's okay. Oh. Now she's like dancing in silhouette yep, in front of like a shattered mirror. She's in a tunnel. <laughs> and that's all you get. What, what the f- Why is that <laughs> dangling at the end? Oh my. Right. So does she die? That's the thing. Yeah, I thought like that looked as if it was like the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I.e. heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah, you know, because that explains the beginning of, of the video. You re- I'm sorry if this doesn't play well over audio. You should go watch it if you haven't in a long time and suffer through this with us. I think she died. Yeah, that's what I got from it. <laughs> so, who was the person at the very start then? The I think that's end? God. <laughs> okay, right. See, like, I thought... Right. So here's my take on it, okay? Here is my <laughs> hot take on the Enthusia intro. The video is actually telling a tale that starts at the end of the video. So the god is that woman after she's died. And because she was a photographer, she became 
the person who captures life. So that's why she mm. had the frame. Okay. And when she held the frame up to the sun, that's her opening a portal back into our world, which is why the car appears. And when okay. she puts the, the frame over the car, that's when our story takes place in the real world. This so is she's reliving it. level stuff right now. That's it, yep. Konami yeah. had it covered, man. And then... Yeah, I've, I mean, that's the thing. The scary part is I understood the story for the most part, despite how fucking crazy it was. Um, the ending feels totally unnecessary. <laughs> I am not sure why they thought that was a good idea or who storyboarded that. Because I was going to make a joke about how horrified the woman looked until I realised she was actually dead. <laughs> um... And what was the thing dangling at the end? Like, it was some kind of crystal. Yeah. What, yeah, I like how at the very end you see her life kind of flash before her eyes. And it's that very, it's very dark because it's like, you know, growing up she loved cars. She would yeah. ride around the back of a Mini with her dad or whatever. She had the toy Mini she would always play with. And then, you know, it's it's her love of motorsports that, that got her to that place. Taking pictures of races. Yeah. And then ultimately led to her demise. And I... If I was going to die at a race as a photographer, a fucking regular Mitsubishi Evo Kelly <laughs> is probably like one of the most boring ways to go. Think of, this, think, think of the car she's probably photographed in her career. Yep. But she decided to go to that race with very stock um, right. Japanese tuner cars. As you do. Of course, yep. yep. And it was packed to the rafters as well. We know every single motorsport is very well attended. <laughs> Including races with stock uh, Japanese tuner cars. Um, but what, what I want to know is, did she actually crush that mini car? Because that is some amount of strength. Like, she crushed is, that toy car. It is a lot car. of strength, especially yeah. for a child. And that's why yeah. I think she was a god this whole time. And in case you're wondering, she never shows up in the game. The story's never referenced in the game. There's never a, a kid playing around with a mini. You never see God again. You are on the desert because they have, like, the, the like fake Paris to yeah. car rally race, but as far as I know, God does not appear on that desert holding a, 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 a picture frame. See, I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons why I think there's some weird time travel shit going on at the very start, <laughs> because the thunder and lightning hit the sky and stuff as well, and in media, that type of stuff usually happens when you're opening a portal to something or doing something you shouldn't be doing. That was weird. Yeah, it's also funny that it opens up with that quote about how if you think, therefore you can attribute it to Anonymous. Because uh, Asphalt 9, which I have to play a lot when I do phone reviews, yeah. has a quote in the beginning that's like, good racers get forgotten, but legends never die. And then it it like attributes it to like legendary racer or something <laughs> like that. It's like, we didn't get that for this one. Yeah, yeah. Purely because... That quote might be relevant for that video, but surely not the game. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, because it's a weird one. she thought she could open up a portal back into the real world. <laughs> she did it. She I can have to say, do it. your reading of it is definitely the, the weirdest. I mean, not that I know of anyone else's reading, but yeah. I assume it's one of the weirder ones out there. It and for that, reason, for that reason, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. If you watch a video like that and have a normal interpretation, then... Um, you're misdirecting the artistic talent that clearly went into that and we now know that Enthusia got made off the basis of this video being made. There was clearly a guy at Konami that was like, I've got this crazy idea about a woman that dies <laughs> photographing a race and Konami were like, we're not making any games like that. And then he was like, yeah, but why don't we just put it on the top of Enthusia? It's not like anybody's going to play it anyway. 
Um, what if that was like the the original like design doc for that game was just like it's some kind of weird drama with the a racing photojournalist that dies and then they just end up making a very kind of boring GT4 clone instead. I think I would have been scared of that as a child. Like if yeah. I had played that game and opened with that intro, I genuinely think I would be slightly disturbed because I'd be really confused about why that played. I played it for the first time, I think I was like 15, and ah, I was right, dying. Okay. I thought yeah. it was the funniest thing in the world. It was cheesy then, and it's cheesy now. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody seems to talk about it. Like, no. Until you guys vaguely referenced that it was weird and refused to tell me anything about it. Like, I thought it was going to be like silly quotes flying on the screen, all the stuff we talk about, yeah. like the Evangelion way of doing things. <laughs> like, um, I did not expect a, a semi-coherent story about something that should never ever be in a racing game again <laughs> a message to all video game developers out there if somebody dies in your opening intro to a racing game when I'm assuming there's also a warning message about not doing these events in real life <laughs> like you, you've got to notice those parallels don't photograph cars <laughs> don't, don't photograph, a ra- photograph a race of pretty standard yeah. Japanese sports cars uh, you your life may be at risk. Yep. Yeah, feel free to drive those cars very fast on public roads. Right. I mean, that, that's what the warning yeah. message clearly said. Exactly. But that's something. Yeah, yeah. Glad we did that. Glad we can put that behind us. Don't yeah. know when the enthusiasm episode's coming. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I don't know if I want to say that ever again. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> right. So. Uh, this has been Time Extend as always uh, thank everyone for listening um, yeah you if you're listening you probably already know this but if you're listening for the first time you can find us on Twitter at time underscore extend we are on all of the podcast networks or not networks but apps that you could find a podcast on I think I guess if we aren't let me know and uh, we have a discord uh, that we usually post links to where we talk about racing games and play them and uh, with the community and it's a lot of fun so join up on that and yeah i think that's about it for this uh second ever technically in-person <laughs> meeting of the time extend hosts yeah definitely um good episode and like adam was saying what we'll do is every time we post a new episode we'll post a new fresh link to the discord since they expire over time um, if you happen to miss one of those links just let us know and we'll invite you we don't have some weird FOMO model going on you don't have to worry about missing out on the, the Discord but uh, yeah if you find this episode before the Twitter you can find a Discord link there and uh, yeah thanks for listening yeah uh, when I go to sleep tonight I'm going to have weird dreams about that intro. oh god <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks everyone cheers guys cheers.